We're in 1 Timothy chapter 5. We're down to verse 21. So he gives them a charge, a command, a sort of an oath. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of his chosen angels or holy angels to maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in a spirit of partiality. Okay, so he's already told them and give them instructions how to deal with elders, how to give them proper respect, and how to punish them if it's needed. So he expects this to be carried on. He's given them an apostolic charge, which he has the right to do. So he says, I'm admonishing you, charging you, that you're to maintain these rules that he's given. So when he says in the presence of God in Christ, he's given apostolic instructions, all the previous instructions about appointing elders and overseers, uh, all of that he's already given them. So he's telling them to obey those rules and principles, how to choose them, how to pick the ones that are going to be teachers and elders of the church and so forth, and how to punish them if it's necessary. When they fail and sin, uh, certain uh, rules you abide by, okay? So he says also in the presence of the holy angels. Now people wonder why he says that. The scripture often says elect, but it explains more to us what he's talking about. The elect angels, we can say in a simple term, are the angels who are elected to stay with God and to not rebel when they were tested. When the devil and one-third of the angels failed the test and they were cast out of heaven, the other two-thirds elected to stay and obey the Lord. So it's not like something that God chose before the foundation of the world. A lot of those teachings are demonic monstrous. They make God worse than a devil, that before they're ever born, God's chosen people, whether they're going to heaven or hell, well, he's a devil. And he goes against his own principles and his own rules. He's double-minded. So for people to come up with that, intellectual people, they have to have demons because it's monstrous. It makes no sense. And they'll say, well, that's the wisdom. No, the wisdom of God is encased in love, justice, fairness, holiness. And when he says it's not his will that any perish, he means just what he says. So he doesn't look down through the future and say, I think I'll send this person to hell for whatever reason. That's my business. Well, these are demonic teachings. And you can imagine where they're going and what God's going to do to them in the day of judgment. Okay. So we need to get back and understand some of the words used in our modern translations and the old ones. We have to understand they've changed and their meanings change, and we need to accommodate that and explain what they mean. They may not mean what you think they mean. You study the root word and what the word means, and a lot of words change in languages over and over. And what used to mean something then doesn't mean that now. So we need to go right back to Scripture and find out what the original says and what the word means in our own translations. Obviously, there are many translations, and and the Bible has to be translated every decade or so to keep up with languages. You don't change what the word means, but in your language, the word may change.
the root word and the original don't change. But if your language changes, then you have to accommodate that. So he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He didn't say go into all the world and teach Hebrew and Greek to everybody. So he expected the gospel to be understood by basic languages and other people's languages that they could interpret what it meant. If the gospel was preached to the poor on every day, then God accommodates them. He doesn't expect people to have degrees and uh, be brilliant in Hebrew and Greek. He didn't expect that, and uh, he still doesn't expect it. He expects common people to understand and conversing what he means. He understands how to work with people. He's not above them, or he is not condescending, which he has to do. So elect, uh, here we have the word used, elect, it means uh, the singled out angels that stood with God during the testing, where the other ones became reprobate, uh, disapproved, they failed the testing, as Adam and Eve failed their testing. And once the testing was done, whoever and however, years or months or however long it went on, once God had finished what he was doing, one-third of the angels were cast out of heaven with the devil. The Bible says they kept not their first estate, their position, their rank, and place in God's order they rebelled against. So that's why they're mentioned. Why are the angels mentioned here? What purpose would it be? Well, we can go to Hebrews and see a hint. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. Well, before that, when he's talking about his prophecies, he says, to what angel has he ever said? He was speaking of the Son. Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. He's talking about the Christ coming, okay? And then he says, explains, are not they all, who the angels? They are ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation. So the true Christian has angelic activity. We don't know if people have an individual angel. They may come and go. They may, But it says all of them, however many there are, they're interested in what goes on in the body of Christ and with Christians. And they look into these things and they're permitted and they're evidently used by the Lord to help, to move in providence, to judge at times, to comfort, to do many things. And we'll find out also that when the church ministers together, the two and three, when the ministry gifts are going on, angels are present. They have something to do with the gifts of the Spirit. God uses them in his own way. It doesn't explain to us. So we're on a chessboard, and we're sort of the pawns, but the back row seems to be a hierarchies of angelic beings, and God uses them to accomplish certain things. So maybe our angels that watch over us, they may watch and be here, and then they may go back, and others may come and replace them. We're not told any of that. Out of the multi-millions of angels, we're only given the names of few, because we're not to know them personally. Humans would have the tendency to want to worship them because they're so much like God, and God does not want that. We forget, he said, I am a jealous God. You know, I'll have no other uh, gods before you, and he'll not allow us 
to worship angels or saints or dead departed people. That's not his nature. It would be called idolatry. He does not permit that. So Hebrews says all angels render service to Christians uh, who will inherit final salvation. While they're in their warfare, while they're in their probation, uh, angels have things to do uh, with us, and they understand their jobs, and they always do the will of the Father in individual matters. But again, we're not told exactly what they do, and obviously it's none of our business, or we'd be told. So God uses them in providence and guiding in protecting or aiding or doing various things in warfare for us or helping them. Now go to 1 Corinthians. We're still talking of the purpose sometimes of these angels. 1 Corinthians 11, when he talks about the distinction, Paul, between the woman and the man and the, and the body of Christ and why women were to have long hair or cover their heads as a covering, to show their submission to their husbands and to the Lord is basically the principle. They were not to rule over and be bosses, leaders over the males. God still does not intend that, regardless of what democracy says. Democracy also sometimes can be anarchy and rebellion as far as God is concerned. Just because people do what they want don't mean God approves of it, okay? Man's freedom sometimes can be anarchy to God and rebellion to him. So freedom and license to sin is what a lot of it leads to. But he says, for this reason, a woman, she ought to have a symbol of authority over her head. So she's to wear long hair or cover her head is what he's saying. And what does he say for what reason? Because of the angels, okay? Because of the angels. So it appears that when ministry is going on and the gifts and so forth, that angels are present and have something to do with it. And if it's not done properly in order, it could be offensive. It can get dire results. They may have the ability to punish, to do God's will and keep in order. So everything, as Paul said, is to be done decently and in order according to Scripture. There is to be no rebellion. There is to be no taking over someone else's ministry or place, they're to be harmonizing and led of the Spirit, then they would not have these problems going on. And the angels are to see to things that are done right, or evidently uh, there are consequences if they're not. So women were to cover their heads for the angels to show them that they're under proper authority and they're not trying to usurp or rule over a man, which God still does not permit. So when women and denominations say women are equal to man and all this, in authority they are not. It's called rebellion. God still does not permit women to rule and punish and have authority over men. He said they are to be quiet in these matters. He does not permit it. And just because governments and nations allow equality with women does not mean God does. He expects certain authority, and he's going to maintain it. So if women persist in it, Paul said, we have no other custom, and if they want to be ignorant, let them be ignorant. But if they're ignorant, they're going to reap the consequences for rebellion. And some of them may have a difficult time getting into the kingdom. And even if they make it in the kingdom, 
Jesus said those who do things like that, they'll be considered the least. So God is not. Part of the consequences of the fall is the woman was put under the man's authority, and Paul makes it clear that Adam, when he took the fruit from Eve, he purposely knew what he was doing, and he used his will, and he was not deceived. He chose to side with Eve in the matter, and that's what he did. Eve was deceived and tricked by the devil, and that's why the consequences was she was not to be given leadership and matters. It still goes on. That's why women have uh, part of the curse was women would have problems, pain, and, and delivering children and stuff. They still do. Part of that stands still, and God has no problem people using medicines or things to alleviate but he says there are certain consequences of the fall, disease, sickness, they just follow on because of that. And one of the things was that the woman was not going to rule over a husband, was not going to rule over the church. God put that, don't matter how spiritual you are. I used to hear women say, well, because there's not enough men. I said, because there's not enough men, you can be rebellious and go to hell. God, he's not going to talk out of double talk out of his mouth. If he says, you don't do this, you have no reason to do it. And he's established it. And that's why Paul said, if you be ignorant, be ignorant. And a lot of women uh, don't want to go to that scripture. When Paul speaks about the women in the gathering of the group churches and stuff, he said they were not to speak. Obviously, there are times they could bring forth prophecy and the spirit could move them. But they were not to teach as far as to rebuke, instruct, or admonish men. God did not uh, permit them and does not permit them. And then he says an interesting statement that people like to bypass. He said, if you think you're spiritual and you think you're a prophet, let you acknowledge what I'm saying. I'm giving you the commandments from Christ. So he's saying, I'm not giving you my opinion here. I'm not giving you custom. I'm telling you what I just told you about women in order and not taking over men's jobs. Or you, This is a command of Christ. So you disobey the command of Christ. We know where people end up ultimately. They do not do the will of the Father, okay? And so as we move on, so we see that bit about angels and sometimes what places they have in things. So again, it appears angels are present and active during the ministry of gifts and different supernatural and regular gifts. Whenever the body of Christ, the two and three come together to worship, not only did Christ say he's in their midst, he says angels are present going on, and they help or do something that God has appointed them to do. It's amazing that when, on another subject, when the rapture or the living Christians are caught up in the air, the Bible says it'll be in a twinkling of an eye that the translation would be a basically a hundredth of a second. It means before you can blink your eye, something's going to happen to the Christian. He's going to be caught up in a, and instantly he's going to be like an angel. Jesus said you'll be equal to angels when you put on immortality, when you put off the old. He said you'll be, the old man and the old nature be gone that quickly. But it's going to happen in an instant. God will be able to do this. And the angels in heaven 
when they fell with Satan, Jesus said something interesting of the devil. He said, I saw Satan fall from heaven as lightning. It means instantly, a split second. So it's interesting when they were cast out of heaven, all the angels, one third of them that were holy and righteous, all of their holiness and goodness was removed instantly and they became perverse, dark, evil being in a second. And the same is going to happen to Christian. We're going to be translated and instantly put on the nature. We're going to be equal to angels and we'll have immortality and we will know God as we're supposed to. It says we shall know as we are known. So that's what God has for us. And he's able to do that very quickly. And so these rulers and appointed teachers and elders must be upheld in their positions. But again, God says you're not to be a respectful of persons when you're in those offices. You don't look at people because of what they look like, their personality, how much money they got, or power. You're not fit for that office, and you'll be judged later for it. So be no respect for a persons because of these things. If they do not meet the conditions spoken of, they are not to be appointed. There's to be no human favoritism. And if they fail at their job, they can be removed. And it's talked about they can be punished. And uh, overseers and elders, they can become against and rebuked before the congregation. And they can also be set aside and tested again. They can be, their offices and appointments can be removed for weeks or months and see how well they do. They weren't flippant and said, oh, well, I'm sorry. Uh, I think that was a mistake. Now we just go on. It didn't work that way. There were consequences. And the higher up you were in ministry, the greater was the consequences. Moses learned that when he lost his temper and dealing with the children of Israel, God said, you you dishonored me before the people. He said, shall I bring forth water for you? Well, it was God that was bringing forth the water. And in his anger, he said, I, and he wanted to go into the promised land. Uh, but when he got up on the mountain, and he evidently talked to the Lord a couple of times about it, and finally the Lord said to Moses, don't speak to me about the matter anymore. You're not going in there. It was a symbol of his being punished. He was able to see the land afar off, but Joshua took the people in. Him and Aaron died up on the mountain. But it was a consequence of his rebellion and disobeying the Lord, God originally intended him to go in. So there are consequences even for Christians today. All of those things written, Paul said, are written for our admonition that we should not lust after evil things. So whatever God did to those people, he can do to a Christian. If Christians don't take seriously their failures and sins, he can make sure that they'll take serious. Uh, he can give them consequences. David's sin of committing adultery and murder of the husband followed him the rest of his life. He had four judgments. And God told him, the sword will never depart from your house. And you did this thing in secret. I'm going to do it before all. He let his son raised up 20 years later. And his son had to be killed by his general. And that was grievous to David. He said, I would have died for him. But God used his evil son to still punish him. 
And he said, when he wanted to build a temple, God says, no, you're a man of blood. I'll let your son build it. So there were consequences of what he did. And that implies that that can happen today. Christians, and the deeper they go with the Lord, and they fail and disobey at certain things, there may be consequences. Forgiveness, he does not often relieve the full consequences. He lets it go on, and he can punish. He just does not reward us according to our iniquities, the Scripture says. He gives grace and mercy, but he can punish, and it can go on however he sets the mind to do it. So people have this fallacy. All they do is confess their sin once a week and go on with their life, and they wonder why God doesn't deal with them. Sometimes part of the punishment is God is withdrawing, and he's not listening until they truly repent and bear their iniquity. Israel said so much at times that God brought judgment on them, and they tried to repent too late. And he said, after I've rewarded you double for your sins, then I'll take you up again. So just because they were caught, they feared judgment, then they repented. Well, God wasn't interested in that. They'd been given too many opportunities, so he dealt with them in a stronger manner. Okay, uh, verse 22, do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily and thereby share responsibility for the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin. He's talking about laying on for commissioning people, the elders of the church, when they recognize the person's, whether they're going to be a teacher, elder, or sent out on missions, they commissioned them and prayed over them. And often prophecy was given. They were recognized in the person's position and asking God to bless them. But he said, do not do this hastily. If you're going to lay hands and commission someone, you better examine them very well, because if you're wrong, you're going to bear in part of their sins. So he's making it very plain to them, your responsibility. Don't lay hands, don't appoint them, don't commission them if they do not meet the qualifications. If you do, you will share in their sins. Don't allow personal wishes and worldly standards cause you to be unspiritual and to appoint people because you like them, because they were nice to you. These are all earthly and unspiritual things. You appoint them because they're spiritual and they're qualified for what? God intends them to do. Now let's go to Second John. Second John, verse 10 and 11. If anyone comes to you and does not bring the doctrine of Christ, is what he's talking about, and who Christ is, and his Godhead, and who he is to the church, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. He's mainly talking about the traveling evangelists, and they were traveling Judaizers, and they were traveling false Christians that were mixing like they do today. Most of the denominations are false, false Christianity. They're not upholding Christ or the power of the Holy Spirit. They're into everything else. So he's saying, don't give them Christian hospitality. Don't feed them and don't give them money and don't wish them God's blessing when they leave. So that's his attitude toward a heretic and a false teacher. You're not 
to support them. If anyone comes to you and does not bring the teaching of Christ is what he's talking about. Verse 11, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. So if you help a false shepherd, a false ministry, knowingly that they are false and wrong, you're partakers of their sin. You will get administered justice by God. So he takes it seriously. The same as the Lord says, the least you do to these, my children, disciples, you've done to me. So if you support a false teacher, a false ministry, God takes notice of that. And whenever judgment comes, and if it comes in this life, if you're a true Christian, you're going to be brought under and punished because you did not listen or examine like he said you're supposed to. So you're supposed to evaluate that person and not be gullible and have spiritual insight in God's word. And if you're led of the spirit, he'll guide you in this. Hebrews 1, 14. Continuing, you are not to support false traveling evangelists or give them hospitality. If you do, you share in their heresies and what they do. Okay, We must watch because there are more false teachings, new age, license to send ministries than ever, and it's going to get darker. Let's read. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. People should read this often today. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and they will bring on themselves swift destruction. What is the swift destruction? They're not struck by lightning or run over by a car. It means eternal death. In loss, they walk with God if they had it. They're no longer under grace. The branch has been cut off. Or the other, if they're not a Christian, the consequence is God's wrath is still upon them and will harden them to the things of God. That's the consequences of being a false teacher. Okay. But many will follow their destructive ways, destructive ways, new age teachings, once saved, always saved, licensed to sin, materialistic prosperity doctrines that are nothing but covetousness. Yeah, many, they're the top two things that most professing Christians in America are going to hell over. Uh-huh. And most of them believe that. You see, that's where we've gotten how bad it is. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. So they don't want to hear any sound teaching. They want to hear God loves me no matter what I do. God will always make a way. He loves me unconditionally and he'll find a way. These are not scriptural teachings. Uh-huh. They've been lied to by false shepherds and told they're okay, and grace will cover it all, and nothing that they do, it's all God's grace. Well, these are false doctrines that lead people to hell, okay? By covetousness, verse 3, they will exploit you with deceptive words. That's a lot of the prosperity teaching here. Covetous, give to get, get the hundredfold. You see this all the time. 
the appeal is to give that you can get and prosper. Oh, they'll mention you'll bless people, but they know the greed of their human nature. Of course, it'll give. You're stupid not to. If you know someone's going to give you 20% bank account, you'd be stupid not to use them if they're legitimate. Uh So they convince people, oh, God wants you to do this. So you can buy a yacht and a new car. and It's all materialism. There is no godliness, no contentment in these people because they're false Christians, okay? And it says, for a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. Ultimately, God has the last word. And many of these people, regardless of the false teachings, they're not going to get saved the last day on their deathbed. Uh People are banking a lot on that. Uh If you've not taken up the cross and followed the Lord, the Lord can harden you and will. Uh See, he wants true repentance. People want to repent on their deathbed because they're afraid of judgment and hell, which they have a right to be. But God is not interested in saving them then. See, they don't want to live righteously. They don't want to obey the Lord. They don't want to do his will. They want to live their own life and then have fire insurance. Well, they're not going to get it. They've been deceived by the lying shepherds. Okay, They'll exploit you. They'll merchandise you. Well, that's what they're doing. Of course, the majority of the people they're merchandising are false Christians also. They're caught up in greed and materialism. And God rubber stamping everything I want to do. And I hear people tell me all the time when I used to counsel, but doesn't God want me happy? Uh, No, God wants you holy. If you're happy, it means you found your life. If everything goes your way, you found your life. Whatever happened, you're not your own. You're bought with a price. Take up your cross daily, Jesus said, and follow me. So you serve me. If you find your life, he says, you'll lose it. So all these people that want to find their happiness, they're going to lose their eternal soul because God is only interested in following him and doing his will. And that's why we have suffering and pain and warfare to fight against the corrupt nature that wars in our members. We fight against the world system and demons. We're under warfare. No, he's not going to make you happy all the time. There's joy that's different than happiness because it's spiritual. Oh, you may have good times and bad times, but you're not to rely on this. The ups and downs of the normal life happen to everybody. But no, God is not out to bless you and that you'll find heaven on earth and then have heaven waiting for you. You've been lied to by false shepherds. That's the problem here. Deceptive words, false, uh, lying, twisting scripture, perverting scripture. Well, let's go to that one again. We've been there many times. Second Peter, chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. As also in all of his epistles, Peter's talking about Paul's epistles, Speaking in them of these things, being spotless and walking before the Lord and enduring his will, he said, which those who are not taught properly and are unstable, they twist to their own destruction. The word means they torture. They take a scripture and they stretch it beyond what it was meant to mean. 
they'll take scripture out of context and quote this scripture. And yet the verses before and after it don't say that. It doesn't harmonize with it. So people think they can just grab a scripture. No, those scriptures have to harmonize with all of scripture. God, the spirit, does not contradict himself. Uh huh. And so they twist these things. They want the scripture to say what they want it to say. And sometimes it's not just the Amplified Bible, but some Amplified Bibles are false. They give you a multiple choice. And so you pick the word you think's best that you like. Well, it shouldn't be that way. What is the sound word? But people write their own Bible now, don't they? Uh-huh. And he says what? Verse 16, unstable, and they twist to their own destruction. They're doing it, as they do all Scripture. Now, isn't it interesting? Peter is calling Paul's epistles Scripture. He recognized Paul's apostleship. He recognized half the New Testament written by Paul. He recognized this. And he says they're Scripture. Uh-huh. And he says, therefore, since you know these things, I've already taught these things. Paul has taught these things to you. Beware lest you fall from your own steadfastness and be led away with the error of wicked. What are you falling from? Regardless of what the false teachers tell you. But grow in grace. You can fall from grace. You can be in Christ as a branch and cease to follow and obey him, and the Father will cut you off, and ultimately you'll be burned. So there are apostates. There are people who turn away, and they don't come back to the Lord. Uh -huh. And so much of the scripture gives the warning, old and new, to stay with God, and the consequences, if you do not stay with God, what will happen? And he's talking to the faithful. He's not talking mainly to the sinner, He's telling the Christian to do this, do that, put on this, put on. You have the capability to yield to the new man, or you have the ability to not to. He does not overwhelm you. He does not make you do his will. You have to choose to take up the cross daily and follow him. And what is the cross? It's simply when your will crosses God, you obey the Lord. And he said it would be daily. And Paul said it would be daily. So we have decisions to make. And we have to put God's will beyond what we want, what our opinion is, what our desires are. And if you can't do that, then Jesus said you cannot be my disciple. He said if you don't forsake everything, in place of me. He said, you cannot be my disciple. So uh, you cannot be a disciple. If you're not a disciple, you're not a believer. And if you're not a believer, you're not saved. I'm not talking about mental acknowledgement that the masses will say, Lord, Lord. They recognize him as the son of God and died on the cross. And Jesus will say, I never knew you. And I'm going to send you to everlasting punishment because you did not do the will of my father. He didn't say you didn't believe him. He said you didn't do. And they were all saying, Lord, Lord, and talking about all the good they did. Well, Jesus said an evil tree cannot bring forth good fruit. If the Spirit's not guiding them and changing them and helping them, everything they do 
is from the natural realm or from the wicked realm. They don't have the Spirit to lead them or help them. They do not have Christ in them. So they're an evil tree. Oh, but they're a religious tree, very religious. So he says, beware lest you fall. He's talking to Christians. Beware. Watch the danger. He's talking to Christians. He's not talking to the wicked of the world. They're already lost. And if they don't hear and submit to the gospel, they're going to be finally lost. Okay? Okay, now, verse 23. Verse 23. He's telling Timothy now something personal. Don't drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Um, all during the 16th, 1700, a lot of the Europeans, the English, the French, they all drank water mixed with wine. They rarely drank water. They thought it was deadly, and it was. A lot of the water they got from their rivers, which they dumped all of their feces and everything else in, and it poisoned their wells, and they were getting all kinds of typhoid and diseases, and they didn't know what they were. But if they mixed wine, and even the people who drank wine regularly, often it was mixed with water. It wasn't strong drink, okay? But it was enough to kill a lot of these germs and diseases that we know about that they didn't know about then. So Paul is telling him, because of your weak system, drink some wine. Drink some wine and not just water. You don't want to upset your stomach. And putting some wine in there ain't going to make you drunk. See, the Bible doesn't speak against using wine or we could say beer or thing. It speaks against getting drunk. So if you can't control it, don't drink it. Uh-huh. Very plain and simple. But when he made wine, he did not make grape juice. He made wine. And if people wanted to abuse it, they would have got drunk. See? Everything is pure in itself. It's what a man does with it. So if you can't control something, don't do it. And that's the principle when Jesus said, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your hand offends you, if you're a thief and a robber, in the long run, you're better off without your hand than being cast whole into the lake of fire. He's given a principle. Don't let your body control you and lead you to sin, which will ultimately lead you to everlasting punishment. Okay? Now, the other thing we'll find that they drank wine, but certain elders and beginners and young men they did not drink strong wine. Even under the law, the priest that's serving, by the time he's 30 to 50, when he's serving in the sanctuary and doing his priestly business, he was forbidden wine. But when he got off, he could drink wine. Let's go ahead and take a break here.